Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky with interviews conducted over the years and during the pandemic with playwrights, directors, actors, and producers. This podcast was originally posted on May 31st, 2020. At the time, Laurel Olstein's play Pandora was scheduled to stream in early June, but was postponed due to the power of the Black Lives Matter movement. It will now stream free Friday, September 24th, 2020, starting at 6 p.m., and will continue until Monday, September 28th, 2020, at 6 p.m., and it's through the TheaterWorks Silicon Valley website. My guest is Laurel Oldstein, who's a playwright. Among her plays are They Promised Her the Moon, which was playing at TheaterWorks Silicon Valley and was shut down because of the pandemic. Laurel Oldstein is the author of another play here, Pandora, which is a modern take on the Pandora myth. And this is a workshop reading. Laurel Olstein has written many, many plays over the course of several years, started out as an actress, was playwright in residence at the University of Oklahoma for a while, has an MFA from UCLA. You also worked with Tim Robbins and the Actors Gang, We're going to talk first about Pandora and how this came about. What are people going to hear? Is this kind of like a table read that's going to be online? Well, it's a a Zoom reading, which I think some people are are getting used to this sort of Brady Bunch look of boxes. But hopefully the theatricality of this play will come through on the Zoom. It hasn't been in production. It's a new play and it's a, a new work that will be rewritten, I'm sure, and worked on. So we had a workshop, actually. We did three days of a couple of hours each day of rehearsal, and then we recorded it on Zoom. So all the actors are in their homes, separate squares, which is a challenge for the actors, for sure. And it's also a challenge for a play, because you're not really connecting in the same way that you would on a stage, obviously. But you hear the text and the actors, since we did have the opportunity to rehearse it, they were able to play off each other and understand what the other actor was, how they were reacting. Because obviously, if you're not in the same room, it's a very different experience. But I think this works quite well in Zoom, actually, this play, which I was very excited about because there's some comedy in it, which is a challenge on Zoom because sometimes timing is a little off, but it really seemed to work well. And there's some physical comedy too, that is a challenge because you're really just acting head and shoulders here. But you will hear uh, someone reading stage directions because you don't see what obviously there's no set. We did have the actors sort of costume themselves out of their closets, which was quite fun and wonderful. Giovanna Sardelli, who directed it, just did a lovely job using the technology that we're all learning now more to how can we bring a new play, a reading to an audience? Because this is just the first time that they're trying this at TheaterWorks. 
to do a new work as a reading because it's something that they're very much involved in and supported in that theater company does. And they want to bring more readings to their audience. And it's the first try at it. If you were going to see this on the stage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. The curtain opens. Yeah. What do you see? And who are these people? The entire play takes place on an island, on the beach. And in the background, you would perhaps see uh, the lighthouse that is on the beach. And Pandora is, it's the first day of her life. What my thought about this is rethinking the Pandora box myth. What if a woman rewrote, reshaped, rebooted the Pandora's box myth? And that's the premise of this play. So there are goddesses in it and gods, but they're played as people. They have powers. I don't want to say too much about it because it's actually fun to discover it. The thing that's wonderful is to watch Pandora, the actress Pandora, Katie Sullivan does a fabulous job. This is the first day of her life being born and and seeing life through fresh eyes. And she's given a box filled with the ills of the world like the original myth? Yes, she is. At a certain point in the play, she is given the gift of a box by a Zeus character. What it is very much focused on is on the women, the goddesses. See Pandora, she's the first human woman. So she's the first human made in their image, not in a man's image. So the goddesses come down and just seeing themselves, their image in a human changes them. It's a bit of a feminist play, I have to say, because Pandora's box basically blames a woman for releasing all the ills in the world. But my take on it is all those ills were there already. She's not going to take the blame in my play. This began as a commission from Getty Villa. Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Ralph Flores, who who is the artistic director at, at the Getty Villa, had talked to me and asked me if I had something that I wanted to do as far as a workshop production, because that's what they do only Roman or Greek myths. Pandora's box just came to my mind. I was fascinated with that myth. Never been really any play based on that myth, not that I knew of. And so I approached them. I pitched them the idea that that's what I would like to work on. And they were excited about it. They do workshops, very few, like one a year or two a year, maybe up at Getty. And so This is something that might happen in the future there, but it gave me the opportunity to think about this myth. Giovanna Sardelli read my play. We had a reading of it, actually, uh, after they promised her the moon. My play was canceled, sadly, because of the virus. So I was working on this play that I'd had sitting there waiting to be worked on, and we thought, Let's uh, let's see if we can get actors together and read it. So that was how that came about. When you began thinking about Pandora and you began thinking about all this, what other ideas did you have that didn't quite work? And then you realized, well, wait a second, I've got to make this the first woman. Or was that always there? That's the story. I mean, she's Eve. I mean, she's, you know, the woman who ruins paradise, right? That is the myth. I was fascinated by it, and I thought it really spoke to so many things in the world today about 
all of these evils that are being released into the world that actually were there, but they're being brought out more. And my feeling how many women actually, women could save the world. I guess that's the simplest way I can put it. <laughs> I, I believe that women could save the world. And so the women who are in power in other countries right now seem to be handling this pandemic better than other people, <laughs> males. <laughs> better than the men. <laughs> Certainly better than the men. And so I found that the more I worked on it, the more relevant it seemed, this play. And it really is about women saving the world. The, the way I am writing this play, that rewriting this myth. This was originally, of course, built for the stage, and hopefully in a couple of years or less, it will find its way to the stage. Most plays these days are only one act of about 90 minutes. Is this one act, two acts? Right now, obviously, again, that could always change <laughs> at this point, but it is a full-length one act. I actually got to work on They Promised Her the Moon in the New Works Festival, at Theater Works and at the Old Globe with Giovanna a couple of years ago. And that's how that play was able to grow to its full life. So they do a beautiful job of supporting new plays, Theater Works. Their New Works festivals are just fantastic because you have actors, you have a director, you get rehearsal time, you have a reading in front of an audience, and then you get an more rehearsal after that first reading and you get to do another reading, which is just fantastic. Of course, that's not possible right now with this process. Uh, that's the one thing I think I'm missing, of course, a lot is that I won't get really to be in a room and hear the reaction of an audience to the play. But I got so much out of the workshop of being able to to hear it and work with these wonderful actors and director. And I'm excited to have it go out into the world and, and see how it plays. So then afterward, you watch it and let's say Giovanna is on a phone with you while you're watching it. And then you kind of take notes on what works and what doesn't. Is that how this would work then? I won't be able to do the process that they usually have done in the past in the full New Works Festival, because it's going to be streaming for several days. I believe there might be a survey afterwards that people can answer questions or, or give reactions to the play. And that would be the way that I will hear the, the reactions to people and obviously friends who watch it. And Giovanna and I may be watching it together. That would be kind of fun. Of course, we're in different cities, but <laughs> it's a very interesting process that's different and new to all of us, this technology with theater. Well, I think one thing, of course, you could do is you could have, if you have an iPad or, or a phone, is have Giovanna on the phone watching it on her computer while you're watching it on yours. We could actually experience it together, but we wouldn't <laughs> have we wouldn't have the the audience, particularly when there's some comedy. It's like the actors they're not getting the reaction of a, an audience laughing, which is a challenge, but that's true and when people do film, obviously when actors do film and television they have that. But that's why theater is so special and so different is because we're all experiencing it in the room together and it's it's alive, you know. Laurel Alstein, let's go back a bit on the last play. They promised her the moon. I saw that play down at Theater Works during its sadly brief run. Uh, how did you come across Jerry Cobb? 
the um, pilot who hoped to get to be the first woman in space. Well, that actually has been a very long process. It's it's fascinating to me. That story kind of found me. Honestly, 10 years ago, I started writing a short story about a female astronaut. And I Googled first female astronaut because I didn't know enough about it. And I really totally assumed Sally Ride would be what I'd see, which she was there. But down the Google list was Jerry Cobb, born in 1931. And I had never heard of her. And then it opened, talk about a Pandora's box. It, it opened this incredible stories that I've never heard of, like the Mercury 13 women that were all being tested and passed tests at the same time as the Mercury 7 guys in 1960. And I started reading about Jerry Cobb and her life and what she went through and how she fought to get into space and Jackie Cochran. And I couldn't stop. I truly went down a rabbit hole about that. And I applied to a fellowship at the University of Oklahoma that they were looking for a playwright who was working on a new play who would also teach a playwriting course and they would support the new play. And it just happens that Jerry Cobb was born in Norman, Oklahoma, which is where the University of Oklahoma is. So it was the perfect place to start writing that play. And I got to work on the play there with a student production. And of course, when you're working with a student production, you get to, and they want more characters, as many as you want. (laughs) At that point, there were like 20 characters in it and they loved it. And it was a fabulous experience there. I left there knowing I wanted to make it a more producible play and started rewriting it and and figuring out how to do it with a smaller amount of actors that was reasonable and came to the fact that I could do it with six actors. I did an off-Broadway showcase production that was wonderful and I learned so much and I rewrote that. It got to the Old Globe um, and the Old Globe Theater in San Diego They connected me actually with Giovanna then as a director, and we worked in the New Works Festival there. And she brought it to TheaterWorks New Works Festival that that next summer. So then it opened in the Old Globe to a fabulous production. And then we got to do a a production at TheaterWorks, a beautiful production that I'm so pleased that you got to see it. It was the second to last play I saw before. It all shut down. Did you ever meet Jerry Cobb? Because she died in 2019. Yes, she actually died when we were in rehearsal at the Old Globe, which was really very sad. But she had a very long life. She had spent the last like 40 years of her life as a bush pilot in the Amazon. I never did meet her because of her experience with the press and with society. She really stayed kind of hidden, quiet life, the the last part of her life. She had a, a website that was online for quite a while, um, selling her books that she wrote uh, about herself, autobiographies. I emailed her and we emailed back and forth. I think it was her that was emailing me, you know, and then she kind of stopped and said she was still in the Amazon. That was like eight years ago. She was quite a hearty, incredible woman, but she went through a lot. I mean, if you saw the play, you you know, she was sadly not able to achieve what she had dreamed that she could. Laurel Olstein, let's go back even further. When I was looking at your biography, 
I noticed that you began as an actress with small roles in Falcon Crest, Switched at Birth, Married with Children, and Dear John. So you started out, as many playwrights did, as an actress? Oh, yes. And actually, I started off as an actress on stage. I was at San Francisco State, where I went to undergrad. I actually was at the Eureka Theater, which years ago, at the beginning there, when Angels in America was starting there. I love theater. Theater was always my heart and soul, my church. I worked in companies very often. I began to do devised theater work as well. And then I was did theater in Minneapolis for years. And then I moved back to Los Angeles, which is where I was born, and got involved with the, the Actors Gang, Tim Robbins Theater Company. And I was in that for 15 years as an actor. And I did some television because I was in LA and I wanted to make some money. <laughs> Didn't love it as an actress. My heart was always in theater. And I started writing when I was in Minneapolis. I wrote a one-woman show for myself about Dorothy Parker. And then I started feeling that as an actor, I wasn't in control of my creative life enough. I, I'm, I needed to have more control. And as an actor, you really you have to wait to be cast. So as a writer, I felt like I could do more. And I directed too. I directed some of my own work. And I, I love working with actors. I love collaboration. And that's what theater is the best for. What got you involved in theater to begin with? You know, I've always, always loved it. It's interesting. I, I mean, I was born in Los Angeles, but all of my relatives are New Yorkers. And we used to go to New York as a family ever, you know, when I was little. And my grandmother taking me to Broadway shows all the time. I just fell in love with theater immediately. The first, I just don't remember not loving theater. The magical feeling of being in the room watching actors, experiencing it at the same time they were doing it. Nothing between you and that story in the dark and experiencing it with other people. I just, it's magical to me. What was your first role? I mean, how did you get your first role? And what was it like the first time you were on stage? You know, that's funny. My first role, I don't know that I've ever thought of it. I used to write my own little plays when I was a kid and make my parents watch them. I can't even remember my first role. Isn't that funny? I know once I went to college at San Francisco State, I was in so many plays. I did everything. I said yes to absolutely everything. And I did Shakespeare. I did comedy. I did contemporary. I did some musicals, but I'm not, a, I'm a character singer. <laughs> so I'll say I'm not a great singer, but if it's a real character voice. When the Actors Gang did Medea Macbeth Cinderella, which was quite an event with Cornerstone Theater, I did play the stepmother in Cinderella and I had to sing for that. And that was fun. But I don't remember my first play. Isn't that funny? Well, what was your first playwriting experience? I was involved in San Francisco, a theater in the city, doing a lot of new plays. I, I did a, quite a lot of new plays, and I love the idea of working with writers. I guess that was part of it, too. And actually, I had a very intense tragedy in my life. My father killed himself, and it was shocking, to say the least. And I was in my early 20s, and I honestly didn't know what else to do with the feeling, and I wrote a play about it. 
I was working at a theater company at the time. And honestly, I sort of like vomited out that play. I mean, it just like I, I had to, it was not chronological. It was all over the place. It was magic realism. You wouldn't have known it was real, like what I was talking about. I mean, that it was my life if you didn't know me. We did a reading of it and it was so powerful to me that I had taken this experience of mine and made myself feel like I had some control over it by having something happen on stage and giving the character who was me some peace. And it was the beginning of feeling that that was what I really wanted to do, that I could express myself in a way so much deeper as a writer. I talk to a lot of novelists, and one of the questions I ask is, after they're done, how does the book change you? Mm. What do you gain by having written it? And it sounds like for that first place, obviously something changed in you. Mm-hmm. As a playwright, you're basically working on seven or eight plays at once. Does that same thing happen when you're finally finished or doesn't it? I think it really depends on the play. I've also written some prose and some screenplays and so it also de- it depends what you're writing, where the writing comes from. Like that play particularly was very powerfully from my gut. <laughs> um, not all plays are that. Actually, that play, I have to say, had some humor in it as well, because that's very important to me. I love to make people laugh. I love to make an audience laugh. And it feels so good to be in an audience and hear them laugh at my plays. It's finding humor in dark times. I, I write a lot of dark comedies, I think. And Pandora is a dark comedy. I think that I find once I finish a play, I want to hear it in front of an audience. It's a little different than novelists, I suppose, because the experience is not complete without the audience for theater. What about screenplays? It's interesting because I've written several screenplays. Some have been optioned, some I've been paid for, but none have been done. (laughs) And it's sad. (laughs) You know, it's hard in that way because if you put your heart and soul into something and then it's just going to sit in the desk or sit in a computer forever. But in theater, I know I can produce theater. I can produce my own. If a theater company is not going to do my play, I can get people together and do it. I have. I've produced my own plays. A play of mine that I always loved, my husband's favorite play that I wrote called Esther's Mustache. Nobody was producing it. I was sending it out like crazy. And he said, let's produce it. And it was fabulously fun. And because it got produced, another theater produced it later. It was a wonderful, empowering thing. And with screenplays, I think unless you're a writer-director, you don't have that kind of control. Obviously, what could easily happen there is that your screenplay can be so distorted by the director that you barely recognize it. And of course, it could be rewritten by 10 other people, too. Exactly. And theater is a writer's medium, definitely, much more than TV or film. I think TV, though, I mean, there's some wonderful writing on TV right now. And I think a lot of playwrights uh, gravitate towards that now, too, obviously, to make some money. But also, it's an interesting medium. Have you thought about being in a writer's room then? 
Definitely. Yeah. I'm actually um, working on two things, two possibilities of things for television, limited series ideas. I love that because again, there's something being in a writer's room is it's a collaboration again, which I love. I love working with other people, other artists. I was talking around the same time and his play got trashed over at the magic uh, with a writer named Ricardo Perez Gonzalez, a uh, playwright. And he had been working on uh, in the writer's room of Designated Survivor for Netflix. And I asked him how that changed his writing. And he said that when you've got that input on a regular basis from other people and you're working with other people and you're honing things down, you change as a playwright because you pick up so much. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference to writing in your your own little office, just you and your computer to in a room with people and constantly people are rewriting you and you're rewriting them and ideas are flowing in a room. I think it can be a wonderful experience. It also can be a horrible experience. I love getting feedback. I mean, that's why I love workshops with actors and a director and a dramaturg and workshop and designers, getting people, I mean, a play is built from what you bring in the text, but then it keeps getting layers and layers from the director, from the designers, and then finally from the audience, where I think in a writer's room, you're just working on the text, obviously. So it's a different experience. But I think it's it can, be, again, it can be a wonderful experience or it can be a horrible experience. I think it depends on the, the group of people. What is laughter, hope, and a sock in the eye? That's my one-woman show about Dorothy Parker. Uh, when were you performing that? I was performing that many years ago. The late 80s, I did it, and early 90s. I performed it for quite a while. I love doing it, although performing a, a one-person show got very lonely, <laughs> I felt like. Collaboration wasn't happening. I, I really was was clinging to the stage manager all the time, saying, "How was that moment?" <laughs> because there was nobody else to talk to about it. But it was a great experience too. Your website says you have ongoing projects with garment workers and LA senior citizens. Well, I did one project about called Bias Cut that I did with interviews with garment workers and with designers in Hollywood. It was just one project actually called Bias Cut, which was fabulous and really fantastic. But I do ongoing work with senior citizens. And I actually teach a class at Otis College of Art and Design where I have the students interview seniors, senior citizens, um, and use their recorded interviews to create small pieces, short pieces. They add their visual reactions to it. And we perform these presentations at the senior center. It's incredible. It's actually so empowering for the, for the seniors. They feel so validated having these, first of all, young people listening to them. <laughs> and what's fascinating is the intergenerational aspect of that work is so magical that the, these college kids who, you know, in their twenties, early twenties or, or, or late teens, Maybe they talk to their grandparents, but it's very different when you talk to seniors who you're not related to. They will tell you everything, whereas your grandmother might not. And they are blown away. We just did a project. One of my students was a vet. We were interviewing a senior who had been in 
actually in the Vietnam War and also had been in, in Israel and was also served in the army there. And the young man who had been a vet was so connected and blown away by this man's experience and how much he talked about being a soldier in Vietnam, that these kids didn't hear, I mean, you know history, but when you hear it from one person's point of view, like a story, it really gets to you. You really understand it. You are like living in someone's shoes. And that is what good writing can do. And so this is just this beautiful sort of exploration of story from one person to one person that I just love doing. What gets me, of course, is that one of the worst, well, there are so many bad elements coming out of Washington, but one of them is the idea that the country can open up and screw the old people, they can die. Yeah. Horrifying. As I approach that age myself, I'm just getting angrier and angrier, but it's hard not to get angry. As a playwright, how do you deal with that anger? It's great because you have a power to put it into a play, into a character's voice. I mean, it's somewhere to put it. I mean, like what's happening in the world this week is so horrifying and you do start feeling like, well, what can I do? What can I do? I'm a white person. I I would like to I would like to do something to to stop the killing of black men. And what can I do? So writing is my power, I guess. That's all that's what I have. So if I can write a story that addresses it or in some way I can take my anger or frustration and examine it, uh, voice it in a play, in a character. It's cathartic for me, and I think for audiences, too. Well, I think that's one of the joys of theater, actually, is the immediacy that you don't even get from television. What I found is that plays move people in a way that Film can do it too, but plays do it in a somewhat different way, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's just because people are there on stage and you're with an audience? They're there. You can see them. You know that you're seeing a production also that'll be different tomorrow and was different yesterday. You're seeing one example. And it's interesting, like with They Promised Her the Moon, when I first was doing the uh, rehearsal of that at the uh, showcase in New York, it was just before the election. And we thought the show would be opening with Hillary as president. So, you know, They Promised Her the Moon is about women being looked over, you know, passed by. So we thought it was going to be a very different experience watching that play. So then when the play happened and we didn't have Hillary as president, it was a very different cathartic experience from the audience. I rewrote the play quite a bit after that, and I'm sure what was happening in the world came into that. My anger, my frustration. There is an immediacy to that and to watching an audience on stage. And also, I have to say, and they promised her the moon as well as Pandora, I want to leave some hope at the end. It's not depressing. I mean, there are things that it's difficult. It's, uh, we're, we're lost sometimes, but there is hope. Like in Pandora's box, that's the last thing that's in the box is hope. So that was something that really hit me when I looked at the myth. That's something that I fight with every day because as soon as you turn on the news or 
go to Facebook. It's very hard to maintain hope right now. Yeah. As we're recording this and then when this airs a couple of days later, it, it's virtually impossible to feel hope and also because we're sort of stuck in our homes too. Right. It's an incredibly intense time, which is why the arts, I mean, what would we do without that right now, without our, you know, being connected in <laughs> online, without being able to watch movies, without being able to listen to music? I mean, it, it really tells you the power of art right now. It's so essential to our sanity, to mine anyway. Laurel Olstein. How many plays are you working on now? And hopefully we will <laughs> we'll be back in theaters within a year, I would hope. I hope so. Yes, I hope so. I am still wor working on Pandora. I mean, it's a, it's a work in process. And I have another play that I'm working on. And I have two projects that are possible television projects that I am working on and pitching with other people, as well as I actually have a memoir that I've written that I'm working on too. So I'm sort of writing in several mediums right now. If I recall correctly, They Promised Her the Moon actually was recorded and did spend some time online and who knows, may come back, hopefully. Well, I'd love to have that show, yeah, that play happen again. It was such a beautiful production. What they streamed, though, was really archival footage that they had had. So, you know, it's beautiful and it is a, a representation of the play, but it's not like being in the room. So hopefully we can be in the room again soon. You've been listening to an interview with Laurel Olstein, whose play Pandora will stream free Friday, September 24th, 2020, starting at 6 p.m., and will continue until Monday, September 28, 2020, at 6 p.m. I'm Richard Walensky, and see you next Sunday for another edition of the Bay Area Theater Podcast.